Hey everybody, you're listening to the Vocal Advancement Podcast and I am your host Tom, joined by the lovely Heather as always. Kamusta. Oh, where in the world is that today? Well, that is, uh, well it's not Filipino is it? It's, the, it's, it's Tagalog, that's the language that is spoken in the Philippines. I did not know Apparently. that. Apparently. <laughs> if you're in the Philippines, oh, you grew up, you should, I, I need Renee here, one of our, te- one of our uh, ambassador teachers grew up in the Philippines. She can tell me that I'm pronouncing it entirely wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're making an effort, that's the important part. Yeah, it's good, it's good. We're going yeah. around the world. We are. And you know, I, I was just telling you earlier that after our Romanian epi- introduction, we had a teacher from Romania join us. So it's completely related. So absolutely. There yes, we are. I like to I'm think encouraging so. <laughs> good relations with all yes. countries in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So we just finished our conference, didn't we? We did our uh, EvaCon Australia Asia and our EvaCon Europe over we did. The last weekend. And that was we a lot did. of fun, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun and it was it's always great when we get our teachers together, even when it's virtually, you know, mm. the people, you know, really kind of buzz off of getting to know one another and they they're really supportive of one another. It's such a good vibe. Um I love it. Yeah, it was fun and it was it's hard work though. Like you know, I was getting up at 5am for the Australia Asia ones and I was sitting in the first morning, like bleary eyed vlogging and I'm like, I hope people turn up. I'm not going to be sitting here on my own for like seven hours, but it was very well attended. Teachers in Asia and Australia turned up and represented. So they really appreciated it. One of the teachers was saying to me how how much she appreciated it being on their timetable, because although she always tries to attend our online events live, oftentimes it means, you know, staying up till three, four a.m., to watch things and at 3 4 a.m you don't really feel like you want to volunteer to be a singer uh, no. or to i'm sure teach. your neighbors don't want you to volunteer exactly because if you've got anybody else living in the house with you i'm sure they're not going to be very happy with uh, all that noise going on um so yeah, yeah. it did uh, it did make a difference for teachers to be able to participate a little bit more freely which is great yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was lovely. Like for me, I enjoyed it because I get to flip between different classes and see who's there and what they're up to and stuff like that. And I was saying this when we were in the closing, like it, it's so wonderful to see people year on year and you see their evolution and their growth and not only their own voices, but their teaching, the language they use, the skills that they're developing. And it's just, it's, it's so lovely to see that progression of those teachers over the years that have been with us for a while. And then equally in the same foot, see all the passion of these new people that come in that are excited and they just can't wait to get their teeth into it. eh? Absolutely. It is. And, and, and like I say, the way everyone supports one another, you know, you'll have one of the teachers volunteering to be a singer in a class and then the, the chat box is just full of people go, wow, your voice has come on so much. And mm. oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Just very supportive, which I love. It is, it's lovely. And then we had, we do, um, in the closing sessions, we do like uh, prize draws, you know, so we were giving away like uh, books and private lessons and education and stuff like that. And uh, the I have to say the moment during the European closing when we gave away the grand prize. So we gave away three grand prizes this year so like a ticket to EvaCon in Edinburgh and then £100 spending money. And uh, the winner in Mexico, who won it for? It was so uh, It awesome. was lovely. <laughs> I know. She was so over the moon. She burst into tears and she's like, I couldn't afford to come, but now I can come. And so she's like ecstatic and cannot wait to come. And I was just like, it absolutely just made my day that we could do that for her. Yeah, absolutely. It was. That was just like, oh, couldn't have wished for a better winner of that prize because that was just, yeah, amazing. (laughs) And we even, we also, um, for the first time ever, we um, awarded the EvaCon Above and Beyond Award to one of our teachers. And this was, so this was something we started doing like almost at the last minute on like day three of the conference. We realized Zoom counts like attendance and all the minutes of like people. So we were like, oh, wow. Like, you know, we've used like 86,000 minutes in like EvaCon America. So we were just tracking this and like, I find that fascinating. So we ended up using Mm. like 166,000 minutes, collective minutes of Zoom time over eight days of conference. 
And then we were going to all these people because it registers like, you know, people that come to the classes. And we were like, mm -hmm. look at this. This teacher was like 100% attendance for you, America, and like 99% attendance for the other days. And even though that meant like staying up to like three in the morning, getting up at five in the morning and attending classes, mm -hmm. she even drove a four hour journey with her phone in a little holder watching the classes as she was driving. <laughs> you probably shouldn't say that. It's probably illegal, but. <laughs> Well, you're just like, it's like listening to a podcast. I was going to say, let's assume she was just listening to the class and yes, not watching didn't it, shall we? <laughs> she was just listening. But just like such dedication. Like I was just, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody after. And I was like, I just, I'm blown away that somebody would be so dedicated to something that we spend a lot of time doing. Because I think it's easy for us on the mm. admin business side. We just, for, you know, we kind of forget. We get stuck in like, we need to do this, we need to do that. And like... We just miss that. And so it was a beautiful reminder of just how amazingly dedicated people are Absolutely. to their development. And how, and how hungry these people mm. are for information, you know, how much they just, they don't want to miss out. There's, yeah. you know, a little bit of FOMO, you know, I can't miss that class because I might miss some amazing gems of information that could really help my teaching. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I feel that. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I want to be in as much as possible myself. It doesn't matter how much... I, I've heard this information before. I want to hear it again because oh, yeah. the next time you might get something new from that, you know, you might take away a different gem or someone might explain something in a different way and, you know, it can just mm. spark an idea. You, you, you never stop learning or you shouldn't. You shouldn't ever stop learning um, because that's when you stagnate and, you know, it, that's not ideal. We want to keep refreshing our ideas and our thinking. Mm. So it doesn't matter how... And I loved being in... So some of the, t the classes I attended, I attended just to help answer questions in the chat box for some of our newer teachers. So whilst we had one teacher teaching the class, I'd be there ready to kind of answer questions. And I loved being in those classes as well, because, you know, some of the questions that people ask just really make you think, you know, right, actually, mm. this is the answer that I'm going to give you. But I'm also I, I need to look further into this particular topic because I don't know whether I'm satisfied with the answer I've given mm. you. And it pushes you to it pushes you. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it, that's a great learning opportunity for those ambassadors that do moderate that chat because mm. they have to be not only do they have to be careful about the language that they use, but then there's also the language barrier. So they have to then be particular about how they answer questions so that it's not mm -hmm. misinterpreted if English is not as strong for the person asking the question. So it's like a learning experience for you as well, as you say. Absolutely. And so there's loads of different levels of learning going on. And, you know, like, mm. I kind of feel like I observe, um, I learn through osmosis at these conferences. Like I sit down <laughs> to teach after the conference and something pops up. I'm like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> and then you're editing the class, going through it, and then you hear it and you're like, oh, wow. Like I must have totally unconsciously absorbed that information and it just flowed out during teaching. So, you know, absolutely. even while we're working during conference, we're still learning. You're still taking stuff in. Absolutely. It's amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. But so, you know, it was a great conference and we really had a lot of fun. Hard work, but a lot of fun. And it was so lovely to see people. But we just can't mm -hmm. wait to see everybody next year in person. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so lovely to be in person and just be I able know. to sing together in the same room as one another. And, you know, go for a glass of wine after classes together. And <laughs> At lunchtime. <laughs> you know, lunch hour, lunchtime. <laughs> Do all the classes in how to de-swell hungover vocal cords the next day. <laughs> Yeah, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I've put the order in for the weather. Beautiful weather, not too hot, just nice, sunny, dry. That would be Orange. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingers that crossed that gets scheduled. delivered on time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to do. I mean, like we we're already like inviting guest speakers, thinking about schedule and stuff like that. And I'm like, we need to have like group singing every day in the schedule. Like not just like a choir because we do the choir, you know, but mm -hmm. like group singings some form of group singing in our schedule every single day to take advantage of the impersonness. Totally. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, I know. It's a great excuse to go shopping for sheet music. <laughs> 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 Not that I need many excuses to go shopping. <laughs> oh, I love that. I know. <laughs> So actually, like before we completely disappeared down the conference rabbit hole, um, we promised people that we were going to have a conversation about pitching and singing last we time, did. didn't we? We did. Because this is a topic that comes up often, actually, at things like conferences. Mm -hmm. I got 
questions this time in the chat box. You know, well, how do you how do you help a singer that can't sing in tune? Because mm-hmm. one of the things that we do when we, you know, and part of our program is how to assess a voice and figure out what that voice needs, um, you know, and therefore which exercises to choose to best help them. But what if somebody can't do that initial exercise? Yeah. What if when you go to put them on that initial exercise to try and assess how their voice is working, all you find is that they cannot match the pitch that you're trying to get them to sing? Then that's a <laughs> whole other situation. Oh, yeah. and, and suddenly all of the rules of how to assess the voice and what to do with them kind of go out of the window because this is a, a, a just a completely different situation. I know. And then you, we've had these questions from teachers, like you say, you know, what happens in a testing situation if this happens? You see like the terror in their eyes. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I know people have asked me that before. And I've said, what you do is you make sure that in your testing situation, you borrow somebody else's student. So you yeah. know that, that, that you're not getting someone who is in that rudimentary situation. But in the real life situation, especially when you first start out as a voice teacher, A lot of the clients that are going to walk through your door may well have issues with matching pitch. Yep. Um, So it is, it's an important topic to discuss and to talk about and to kind of understand what's going on and what the problems are because there are a lot of misconceptions around this topic. So I remember a young, being a younger teacher and my first student came in that couldn't pitch. And I remember sitting, thinking, trying to play the assessment scale, like, uh-oh, well, <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> because, you know, like you say, we have this logic we work through and I wasn't experienced enough to know. And so, you know, there began a series of very painful voice lessons for an hour where we would sit and <laughs> sing like six notes on the piano. Because I just didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until a colleague was like, OK, do this, do this, do this. And then suddenly things clicked. But for right. people that are maybe in that situation, like what, what do you think are, so like, let's, well, let's just rewind, shall we? What are some of the reasons why people struggle with pitch? Oh, now that is the big money question. <laughs> Easy question to start. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go, well, exactly. That's like the whole conversation. And this is where misconceptions happen because, well, first and foremost, the term tone deaf is a highly inaccurate term because what that suggests is that there's a problem with the way that someone is hearing the pitch. Mm -hmm. And for the majority of people, that's not actually the issue whatsoever. So there have been lots of studies done where people have done particular training to help them recognise pitch better uh, so for example there was a study done on using micro melodies so teaching people to recognize pitches between the pitches so mm. less than a semitone difference in pitch and what they found after you know kind of this sequence of teaching people at the end people were far more able to recognize really minute changes in pitch up and down really? but their ability to sing in tune was absolutely no different it was exactly oh. the same as it was to begin with. Because the, and it, the issue with actually perceiving the pitch accurately is actually a, a kind of a, a medical issue. It's what we would call a musia. And depending on where you read your statistics, anywhere between two and a half to four percent of the population maybe a music and you can consider a music as being almost a form of neurodiversity it just is a brain uh, the brain is wired slightly differently and so the brain does not interpret pitch the thing about a music though is because the brain is not understanding pitch when it hears it music and melodies kind of don't hold the same value to someone who is a music as it would to your average person, because for them, it's just noise. So whereas we can listen to a piece of music and be like, oh, I love, oh, listen to the harmonies. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And a music person would just be like, well, it's just a bunch of sounds. Like, I don't Mm. get what the fuss is, right? And because of that, I would say it's incredibly rare to find somebody going for a voice lesson who is actually a music, because for them, what's the point? They don't get the same 
buzz. They don't. They yeah. can't interpret the same emotion and feel from the music. So even they're speaking, isn't it? For I mean, people that are music, like they can't even hear the melody in the speaking pitch. It's just monotone to them. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's just that inability to really recognise the ups and downs. And for some people, that's more severe than others. Um, and the only thing that they've that I've found study-wise where they've managed to improve that amusia was through um, kind of stimulation of the brain, electrical Ooh. stimulation of the brain. Okay. <laughs> and they did, I know, I know, which is rather an extreme way of trying to improve your pitch. <laughs> so we can almost assume that for the majority of people who come through the door that cannot match pitch, it's not an issue with hearing pitch. Mm -hmm. So, and you can test that out if you're not sure, you know, just sing a low note and a high note and ask them which one is higher, which one's lower. If they can differentiate quite far apart pitches, then they're not amusic. If they're struggling with pitches that are closer together, then they might need a little bit of help to yeah. fine tune that skill. Right. So that's that's less of an issue that just kind of we need to just practice this skill a little bit more yeah. and it will get a little bit better. Right. But because of this, that whole term of tone deaf really paints the wrong picture. And I think it's led people in the wrong direction a lot of the time. So a lot of people who struggle with matching pitch are then led down a, a route where they are forced to concentrate and listen to pitches and, and train their ear more. But that's one small part of a big picture right so basically when we when we have to match pitch what our brain has to do is it has to understand the tone and the pitch that's coming in to the brain so there's that process there that's going on where we interpret the pitch and then we also have to formulate a plan for what the voice has to do. So that's a completely different part of the brain that formulates the motor control of our instrument to make those pitches. We also need a good working memory because we have to memorize what we heard to be able to make a plan for the motor processes. And that's all going on. And as well as all these different processes happening, <laughs> there has to be communication from one process to the next that is accurate otherwise it becomes like that you know telephone game that kids play where <laughs> you know one message go past down the line and then by the time you get to the end of line it's a completely different story and actually from looking at all the research that's been done it is that passing it down the line that is the most likely cause of somebody's inability oh. to match pitch Wow. So it's not so much, and although, like I say, if there's an issue with one of these processes, that will impact somebody's ability to match pitch. So if, for example, your vocal production isn't very good, you know, if you've not got a good balance in your voice, uh, that will impact your ability to match pitch. And if you improve that one process, that can make a difference. However, that's one small part of the picture. And so you might find that you get somebody to use their voice really, really well, and they're still not matching pitch. And okay. similarly, you know, if somebody has an issue with memory, so perhaps they've had some kind of brain trauma or something that's affected their memory, that can impact somebody's ability to match pitch. Um, that's one part of a small picture. Yeah. So for the majority of people, it's not the independent processes that's the big issue. It's the fact that their brain isn't passing the message accurately from one to the next. A complicated process, like when absolutely you absolutely it is when you break the voice down, like because sometimes we get caught up just thinking about what's going on in the larynx or around the larynx. But when you bring in all the neuro stuff, you realise just how complicated it is to actually open your mouth and produce a note. Never mind. Seriously, the number of things that we have to coordinate <laughs> to be—it's a wonder anyone can sing in tune. It's Walk ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seriously, and a lot of the like the research on like. How, how to learn this skill like for example we've spoken before about motor learning mm. and you know a lot of that research a lot of that research is done in the fields of sports and the motor action of like 
I don't know, hitting a ball with a bat or kicking a ball with your foot is far less complex than the motor actions involved in producing pitch because there are so many little components that make <laughs> up that motor action. So, you know, I'm always, I always kind of take those kind of motor learning sort of advises with a pinch of salt, knowing that this is more complex than where that research originated from. So although we can probably learn some stuff from it, we also have to acknowledge that sometimes it's not necessarily the whole picture because there are so many other things involved. Um, so do you find that, because I've had this conversation with somebody else differently, and in fact we talked a little bit about this with Gerald, if we're about like growing up in a musical mm-hmm. environment like a church or musical instruments at school, how that affects your musical development. So do you find that, or is there any research being done about those children that grow up in musical environments like churches or choirs and stuff versus those that don't have kind of musical exposure? Yeah, there absolutely is. And it is quite stark that if people continue with singing kind of lessons if they're in an environment where they do music at school and they're singing a lot they are more likely to grow up to be someone that can match pitch quite well versus someone who doesn't and it's you've got to remember as you're growing up that's when the brain is making the most new connections Mm. and so if you grow up in a household where nobody sings and you don't go to a church where they sing and your school doesn't really push singing and therefore you have very little exposure to music and singing growing up then that kind of connection from one process of the brain to the other is just underutilized so it's just something that hasn't been used and the the brain is very good we talk about you know plasticity of the brain Hmm. in that we can kind of rewire certain things not everything obviously but we can rewire certain things we can learn new ways of doing things and we can learn new skills um but then there's the old adage you can't teach an old dog new tricks and it's just that as we age it becomes a little bit harder to create these new connections Hmm. not impossible but a little bit harder and it takes a little bit more repetition, more hard work. But it is all about repetition. You know, basically the way neurons work is if the same neuron and the same pathway is being used over and over again, that neuron eventually gets myelinated. So mm. it's kind of like insulated almost. If you think about electrical wires, you know, when you have that like, plastic insulation around them, the, the synapses as they fire and they create these neural pathways, if they keep doing that, the brain will eventually insulate that wire because it says this is something that happens all the time. Let's just make sure we protect this connection and make it really solid. But if you're not firing that all the time, then you don't have the opportunity to build that up. Um, So it is often the case that when you get somebody in for a lesson who isn't matching pitch very accurately, when you ask them about their history and how much singing they've done growing up, it is often the case that they haven't done an awful lot. I think that myelination process, is that how we say it? Myelin, mm-hmm. Myelinar? Like, Myelinish. Yeah, yes. It's a difficult one for mm-hmm. Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do remember reading a book by Joe Spazneskia, I think it was. He talks about he talks about that. Um, and like it kind of makes me think of that uh, that phrase that people always say, like, practice makes perfect. But actually, it's more like practice makes permanent, isn't it? Right, right. It's just it's just repetition of things. Some people talk about muscle memory. I mean, mm. it's not really a thing, but it's a nice analogy yeah. for for that process. In that, if you it's do the same thing over and again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's much easier to say. But if you think about dancers, for example, you know, the first time you get taught a new dance routine, you have to really concentrate on, oh, my arm goes here on this beat and my leg goes there on that beat. But once they've been through that routine enough times, Mm. they're not thinking about what their arms and legs do. They just switch off and off they go because they have programmed that into their system, right? Um, And so singing, we can think about that in a similar way. But in terms of kind of that connection between the brain, I mean, there are certain things that help that along that us voice teachers can utilize. So one of the things that can help that representation, that ability of the brain to kind of pass the message along um, more quickly is when the brain is hearing the pitch delivered in a tonality that is very close to the singer's tonality. So what I mean by that is that 
if I were to hear another female singer sing me a note, it would be easier for my brain to figure out how to recreate that than Uh if someone were to play the note Mm. on the piano. Because that is much more similar to what the brain has to set up in terms of the motor commands. And actually, I mean, there's been a lot of research done on that area. Human voices always outperform instruments. And voices of the same genre, not genre, what am I saying? Voices of the same, well, I want to say sex, but it's not even because it's treble versus bass. So like a young boy whose voice hasn't broken will Mm -hmm. find it easier to match to an adult female versus an adult male voice. So um, similar, whether it's treble or, and and actually there was one research study done where they used the singer's own voice as the target. Oh. So they recorded the singer making some sounds and then played back the recording of that singer's voice singing a particular sound and that got the most accurate matching because it was exactly their instrument. So the brain found it a lot easier to pass that message on because it understood what that tonality was. So it was an easier connection to make this is, a, this is the same as this process. So for a lot of people who are struggling as you're teaching them, you're going to find that they will, it will be a lot easier for them if instead of trying to hammer it out on the piano the mm-hmm. whole time, if you begin to use your voice. And if you're teaching someone of the opposite sex, if you can get recordings of the opposite sex's voice, you know, call up a friend, use another student, you know, who can record some examples for you so that you can use those to help them pitch off of, that's also going to make that process in their brain a lot easier. Because we are, we, we're imitators at heart, aren't we? Like we grow up learning to imitate our parents and that's how we learn how to speak in language. And mm. like I find in my own voice lessons that I have the most success finding the sound the instructor's looking for when I hear them do it, because then I just can imitate and understand. And so that makes a lot of sense when it comes to pitch. If you can hear mm-hmm. the same tone or the same timbre and a voice, you can kind of push yourself to the right place and find it. And so I guess that's really important as a teacher then, isn't it? To make sure that your own voice is in a place oh, where you can do this, isn't it? I mean, and that's right for everything. And that's when we start to kind of look at the topic of like mirror neurons and how those Ooh, work in the brain. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we go all neuro geeky on you. But but the whole process of mirror neurons is that we can observe somebody doing something and it can have that similar effect. So like some of the research I'm doing at the moment is all on gestures and our interpretation of gestures. And oh, simply okay. watching, for example, if you go in, you know, the studies done on, on choirs, so on, on choral gesture and whatnot, and simply watching the choral instructor round off their mouth as if they were rounding off the vowels, immediately everybody in the choir started doing the same thing with their vowels. So wow. there was no kind of verbal instruction of, I want you to suddenly change your mouth shape, just literally by doing it, because they're all watching them, they instinctively mimicked what they see. And that works with sound too. So you're absolutely right. An accurate demonstration is more likely to elicit an accurate response from the student. Isn't that just like, mm. uh, the more we delve into all these topics, like the more we speak to people that come on and guess and the more learning about the neuro stuff and the psychology and everything goes around, it just, I still can't help but be amazed by these people that are just, you know, they grow up like the Whitney Houston's, the Mariah Carey's, Celine Dion's, and it's like, it's such complicated stuff that just feels like it's so intuitive for them and it's just like when you realize how complicated it is it makes it even more oppressive what they can do yeah you're absolutely right and uh, but then it's also important to know that there is there's genetics involved yes so you know some of these people that you've mentioned probably came from uh, a long line of of people that were 
you know, quite accomplished singers themselves. There's also, you know, exposure to it at an early age. So again, mm-hmm. I know Celine Dion, for example, her whole family said, like, oh, but there was a clip going around not that long ago, actually, a really old clip of her with her family on some <laughs> TV show. I, I don't yeah. know, it was a talent show or something. And the whole family was, it was like Von Trapp singers going on. <laughs> so clearly this is something that's been encouraged from, you know, early, and you think about like the Jackson 5 and things, you know, that yeah. it's like singing, as soon as you can breathe, you sing, thank you very much. So that, again, is just developing those connections really quite permanently from an early age. So then... Like, as fascinating as all this is, like, if I'm a teacher and I'm sitting at my piano and I'm just, like, banging my head on the piano because I don't know what to do, (laughs) which has happened, um, what are kind of, like, how can I, so, let me phrase this a different way. How can I tell the difference between somebody that comes in and maybe it's a technical issue that's stopping them from producing pitches accurately versus one of the other issues that you mentioned? That's a great question. So, I would, like I say, first thing I would do is just try and establish whether there really is some kind of issue with the hearing, um, which it almost never is, if ever. I don't think I've yeah. ever had anyone where I'm like, no, you can't even hear. The fact that they're there and they're telling you that they struggle to sing in tune means that they can hear, that they're off, they're off pitch. Yeah. And then I'm going to also be constantly listening to, well, what is their vocal production like? If I get them to sing something, you know, comfortably low in their voice is their vocal production so far off that that's going to impact pitch? And if it is, then I can give them an exercise very quickly to address that. And once they're on that exercise, then I can test out, well, now how accurate are you? If the accuracy improves dramatically, then okay, maybe that I'll carry on down this path for a little bit longer and, you know, continue to build that ability to maybe get a better vocal cord closure or Mm. to, you know, kind of you know involve a little bit more harmonics in the voice whatever if i if that's working great if you can hear that they're getting into a better vocal production but the pitch accuracy is still really hit and miss well then we have to assume it's that passing the message on that's the problem um and so that's when we need to start well first of all we need to be very patient because as we've just been saying, these are skills that you develop over years growing up. And as a child, it's a lot quicker because your brain is more malleable. It's constantly developing as an adult, less so. So we have to have a lot of patience because this is not going to be fixed in one lesson. It's not like suddenly we wave a magic wand and they're perfectly in tune for the rest of their life. This is something <laughs> if <only>. that's... <laughs> if only. <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> that's it. You're done. I could charge a fortune if that was the oh, case. Cool. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, and it's something to, you know, make sure that you, you communicate with your student that this is going to be a long process. And then doing things like we were talking before about making sure that you're using your voice as much as possible. So making sure you are demonstrating in as, you know, closer tonality as possible is going to be a big help for this. But then the main thing that you can encourage them to do that is the, really the only thing that there, there has been any research on that really truly helps is f- to encourage them to create a really solid mental representation of the pitch before they go to try and make the pitch. Okay. So the power of the imagination, essentially. So taking your time, slowing it down, giving them a bit more time to sit there and try and hear it in their head as clearly as they can. Mm-hmm. If they want to visualize it, you know, they can, whatever, whatever helps them to really kind of identify this is the pitch that I need to aim for and slowing down and giving them a significant amount of time to do that before they attempt to sing it is the only thing that really has been shown to make a big diff- impact on that communication. Cause basically we're just giving the brain longer to pass on the message and we're trying to keep a solid idea of what the message is the whole time so by keeping that very clear hearing it in our heads before we sing it you'd be surprised how many people don't do that so for somebody who's very musical has been doing it a lot of the time we will hear melodies all the time you know we'll be singing to ourselves in our heads yeah. and we're hearing the melodies but a lot of people won't 
they won't it won't wouldn't occur to them so they may be able to recognize that one note is higher than the other but they're not really being very specific about what they're aiming for so they just aim somewhere high or somewhere low and and that's what creates that very kind of inaccurate attempt at that pitch because we're not being specific enough in the brain as to what it is we're trying to sing so slowing slowing the process down to give mm-hmm. the brain time to do this allows the brain the opportunity to figure out how it's done and so it might take many weeks of being very slow um i actually had a teacher just the the other week come to me and say i've got a student i don't know what to do with him he's he doesn't sing in tune and she booked him in for a lesson with me so she could sit and watch what i would do with him yeah and it was it was a situation where he wasn't hearing it before he did it and we needed to slow him down because he was in such a rush to try and sing a whole phrase of a song and we had to really slow him down and one of the things that i did with him which worked really well was to utilize a song that gets sung in childhood so we used twinkle twinkle little star I actually asked him, I'm like, is there a song that you, you, you sung growing up? Something like Happy Birthday or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or A Christmas Carol or something. Something that their memory might have a better chance of memorising because there's been more exposure to it. Hmm. And we just literally used Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, just very basic. That's it. And that's as far as that we, we spent an hour, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's as far as we got we're yeah. singing twinkle twinkle little star and we varied the keys but we sung that one little phrase up and down and used it kind of like an exercise but the exercise was can you hear that very simple melody can you hear that very accurate jump between the notes so that every time you sing it doesn't matter what note i start you on you're able to accurately go to those notes and then oh. actually no it's not true we didn't just do twinkle twinkle little star because i then asked him <laughs> if he knew a, a, a popular song and bless him he chose reach by s club seven which i'm not sure if that's oh. a popular song outside of the uk or not Maybe, uh, no, it was a while ago. very cheesy pop song from the was it the 90s when they came out with that song oh making me feel old heather i think it's early 2000s s club yeah so we just we, again we just took one line from it and we just got him to really concentrate on the jumps between the notes um, and, and, and the other important factor as a teacher is, is how we feed back. So mm. in a lot of the studies on, you know, trying to improve people's pitching and, and just understanding how the brain pitches, one of the main things that helps with more pitch accuracy is how the brain interprets feedback. So there was a study done, for example, where they they deliberately fed them back incorrect information. So I don't know, I can't remember whether they had them <laughs> listening to the, their own voice, but they manipulated the sound. Um, so what they were hearing back was not actually what was going on. Um, and so, and all of a sudden, their pitch matching was all over the place because they were trying to adjust according to what they were hearing themselves doing. So even though the previous note, they might have actually been accurate because what they heard back was inaccurate, that they assumed they'd gotten that wrong. And so they adjusted their approach for the next note. Um, So the the way the feedback comes is really important. And so if somebody is not really concentrating themselves on their own voice enough to be able to figure out that, feedback for themselves then that's where the teacher becomes really important to make sure you are helping them to recognize the difference between yes that was accurate and no that wasn't so rather than let them go on for a long amount of time where it's kind of gray areas not quite right but i'll just let them get away with it because it's getting closer it's actually going to be more beneficial at that point to be very black and white yes that was it no, that wasn't, because then that helps the brain to understand their own feedback better. Yeah. And so, like, I'm curious, then, talking about Twinkle Twinkle, do you, when we're thinking about tools, then, do we want to be avoiding maybe intervals that are too large or too close together? Is there kind of a sweet spot for the intervals? 
So that's a great question again, and I'm going to go off. So if it's if the the issue is an issue of translation in the brain, then larger issue larger um, intervals are going to be easier for them to identify than smaller ones. Um, if it's an issue with vocal production, that might not be the situation because mm. a large trying to do an octave jump, for example, might be more demanding vocally. So it will take a little bit of experimentation. But I would say the sorts of intervals that you find in nursery rhymes, nursery rhymes became popular because they were full of the sort of intervals that the brain could most easily identify. Okay. So children's songs, so that kind, that interval you hear in Twinkle Twinkle, you hear that in a lot of children's songs. Da, 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 ba, ba, black sheep, same as Twinkle Twinkle, because that's quite a nice interval for the brain to kind of, it's close enough together that it doesn't feel like, oh, this is difficult to sing, but it's far enough apart that it's it's relatively easy to hear that jump. So the keen-eyed among you that are watching the video might notice that this is a different day from when we first started this episode because we had some technical difficulties and we had to stop right in the middle of a fantastic question. But luckily, well, I wrote it down. Yeah, Did? see, you're very organised, Tom, you are. Can't find the piece of paper, but organized. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good advice, but then... What can the singer do? So like, I mean, you know, they're at home, they want to practice. They maybe don't quite have the skills yet to hear when they're not on the money. So are you got any tips for singers that they can be more accurate when they're on their own? So, okay, so here's one thing. If, if you're really kind of dedicated and you really want to work hard at it and you're a bit kind of nerdy, geeky <laughs> about it. Yeah. One thing that has been shown to help is using spectrograms. So um, downloading software um, like VocaVista, which is uh, a program that a lot of our voice teachers will use to analyze, you know, spectrally analyze voices, can be very useful because they can see for themselves whether they are producing the note that they think they are producing. So they can go, right, okay, they can even, you know, put in a recording of a song that they they want to sing figure out what are the notes here or if they read music great they can see all right that's an e then when they go to sing it they can it will tell them you know whether they're on an e or whether actually they're on you know a z who cares whatever they're not there right <laughs> and seeing that being able to see well how far off can give them that visual kind of feedback but actually they can even use things like um you know, like the Guitar Hero type video games. Yeah. Those sorts of games, because all of those games, those games used to drive me up the wall when I went round to friends' houses <laughs> to play them. Because all that game really does is when it's on the, you know, the singing version of it, all it does is matches the accuracy of your pitch against the pitch that is programmed in for that song. Mm. So if you start to, like, improvise an alternative melody... You lose points because that's not what's programmed yeah. in. No, 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 no. This is not a game to kind of test your ability to sing and, and interpret <laughs> songs and be creative. And that drove yeah. me up the wall. The minute you add a riff in, uh, 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 you lose points. But for somebody who's trying to match pitch, that's going to be really, really helpful because, again, they're going to see on the screen how close they yeah. are to singing the notes they're supposed to sing in that song. So... Video games like that can actually, and there's been research on it, ha have been proven to help people improve their pitching. Yeah, there's some real fun ear training apps actually that came out in the last couple of years that gamify like ear training and tell you when you're off and you're on. And then the one I use, I don't know if it's available anymore, but it would play you to, is this higher or lower? Is this... Right. And then it would do things like that, and then it would train you in the intervals and then test you and give you scores. And it was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. Uh, good to get the... Because I'm kind of a visual person, so I like the real-time feedback. Of, oh, I'm not on the little bar. What do mm -hmm. I need to do to get up or down onto that bar? So, yeah, they, I think that can be a lot of fun as well. Because you don't want to get stressed about it. You want to keep it fun. 
No, absolutely. And it, and it, we can make it fun. And just, mm. just to bear in mind that those sorts of games where it's all about hearing, they're great, but it's important for your student to know that that's not the full story. Mm-hmm. So if they spend 30 hours a day training their ear to hear whether it's higher or lower, that won't necessarily make them a more accurate singer. Make them more accurate in understanding when they're off. So that's an important factor, but it's not the be all and end all. So they need that also, that ability to see whether they are matching the pitch. And like you say, adding the visual can be really beneficial. Just in general, um, all of the studies on how people learn, the, the more modalities that are used at the same time. So adding something um, kinesthetic, adding something visual, adding something auditory all together in mm-hmm. one, you know, kind of group will always be a better way to help someone learn than isolating it into one thing at a time. So yeah. just working on, it doesn't matter how much you think you're an auditory learner, just doing auditory learning will not be as successful as when you combine it with something else. Um, mm. So adding that ability to kind of listen to themselves on pitch, see it on the screen, see how accurate they are, that combination can be really powerful. Here's a good point and good advice. And I think because it's... I, I just remember the first time somebody came into my studio and I was just like, I don't know what to do because I was like, oh, my, my whole toolbox went out the window because <laughs> they couldn't sing the scale. And you're like, you sit there and you get a little panicky because, you know, the person's there, they think you're the expert, you know what you're doing. And you're like, okay, let's just, you know, let's see what happens when we press this key and if, can you sing it? <laughs> so That's it. I think having some tools in your toolbox for this situation is really important because I have... Absolutely. I would hazard a guess that this is probably more common a scenario in a singing teacher's studio than somebody who walks in and can sing through multiple registers of their voice, beautifully blended and balanced, you know. And particularly if you're just starting out as a voice teacher, I think that makes up almost the majority of your clientele when you're first starting out, because when you first start Mm. out, you tend to price your lessons lower. And the sorts of people who are struggling to match pitch tend to kind of value their needs lower so like mm-hmm. oh well, I, I just need to learn to sing in tune so I don't necessarily I don't need to invest in like the best voice teacher in the world I just need yeah. someone to show me to sing in tune so they think of it like it's a entry level issue and so they tend to opt towards going to kind of an entry level teacher um and in actual fact, that issue can be really quite complex and needs, you know, someone who's got some understanding. So it's, it is, it's useful for beginner teachers to understand what do I do when somebody comes in like this? Yeah, and just not panic and just, you know, do your best that you can and just yeah. do your homework and as well. And like I was saying before, understand that they are starting right at the beginning and they might mm-hmm. need some very, very simple things explained to them. Yeah. It makes me think about the first time I had a driving lesson. You <laughs> <laughs> laugh at me now. First time I had a driving lesson, I got in the car and I sat behind the steering wheel and, I, I t- and I'm like, oh, he's like, okay, press this button to start the car up. And then I'm like, but how do I know how far to turn the steering wheel? And he just mm. looked at me like, what, what do you mean how far to turn? You just turn it as far. And I'm like, but how do I know how far is the right amount? And I was terrified because I, I, I didn't grow up doing those sorts of driving arcade games. I didn't, I didn't know. And it was, <laughs> I was a complete beginner. There's something so obvious that you just, well, you just instinctively turn it the right amount to turn the car. I was just like, I don't understand that concept. You need to explain to me how far to turn. And he didn't know how to answer my question because obviously I was the best person who'd ever asked that. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the thing. We might get someone in who's like, how do I, how do I know how to open my mouth and just say, do you know what I mean? It's one of those, it might be just a very rudimental, I need to understand the basics of how singing occurs. So any other last thoughts about pitching then? Now that we've picked your brain dry. Anything Um, left? (laughs) I I feel like we've covered everything. But all I want to say really is if you are a voice teacher listening in, you know, just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try things out. See what works. 
and and you know try lots of different approaches and just you know find the one that works best for that person everybody's unique Mm -hmm. what works best for one person isn't necessarily going to be the best approach for another person so hopefully you've heard a few ideas through this podcast that you can take away and use and just try some things out and and see whether anything you know really kind of helps that student of yours that you know is struggling with pitch yeah, I think it's fair to say like these things become part of your toolbox, you know, so you have different toolboxes for different singers that are in front That's of you. It. And so just spending time practicing your skills doing it and understanding it. And I guess also as well, making sure your own ear is good enough too. Oh, you know? yeah, that, that helps. Keep that working on help. yours too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Lovely. Wonderful. Well, that was a nice chat. I like doing these episodes with nice just chat. me and you. <laughs> well when they work and we don't have major technical, technical issues difficulties. In the middle, that, would, that would be better really but anyway. it would not be the vocal advancement <laughs> podcast without the technical difficulty let's face it I know. if things go smooth i'm like that would be a terrible episode <laughs> <laughs> well, i hope you were all able to follow along the conversation even though it was a bit disjointed in the middle there but yeah no, and we've got a we've good. got a guest on our next episode, haven't we? We do, and it's funny because we're speaking about pitching and musicianship. Our next guest is the delightful Kim Chandler. Mm. You know, and we had a this lovely one. chat about all of the musicianship stuff and modos and Lydians and all those lovely things that I can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah, now that is one woman who knows her musicality mm-hmm. through and through. Oh yeah. And she has a lot of, a lot of gems to share with us. So, yeah, and that's going to be a great episode. full of beans, full of beans, as we <laughs> say in the UK. If we could just bottle what she's got and sell it. Her energy, I love it. I know. I could do with some of that this morning. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, that's a good episode. We had a great chat. and We, we did. have we could have chatted for days with Kim, honestly. Like, we probably could do parts three through seven with her, you know. There's so much to cover. <laughs> I know, I know. We could. But, yeah, so how how do people make sure that they don't miss that episode, Tom? Yeah, so wherever you're listening to this podcast, be it uh, a video or on your podcast player, make sure you have subscribed or clicked follow so that you get notified when that episode comes out. I think it's in August the 10th is when that's due so that would be lots of fun and then you can also watch the shenanigans on video on youtube on our youtube channel vocal advancement so find us there if you want to see what me and heather look like when we're pulling all these faces especially when things break and i'm like spot the difference between the outfits at the beginning of the episode and the end (laughs) i know have i got the same hairstyle (laughs) (laughs) who knows i know i know Next time I might have green hair halfway through. That would be interesting. <laughs> you should totally do that. I get to see you, Tom. I don't know if I go my glasses, but, you know. <laughs> Maybe. We'll, we'll think about it one day. If we get 100,000 subscribers, I'll dye my hair green. There you go. Oh, now we're talking. Right, get okay. on it, people. Share the word. <laughs> <laughs> what will I let myself in for? to say we'll get you all alphabet up shall we <laughs> oh yes i could do that could see everywhere. that in a couple of months are you amazing yes got very good seats very good amazing love a good show wait. love a good show i know well i know thank you all for so, joining us today and yes. uh, and uh, we will see you again soon we will Take care of yourselves, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye.